Volcano Watch. This is a semi-weekly podcast to update you on the volcanic activity of the weeks. I'm one of your hosts, Alessandro Mosu. And I'm your other host, Corinne Jorgensen. We're PhD students at the University of Geneva. We study volcanoes and are here to give you all the hot volcano news. First, the focus of the week, and then the volcano news from the last two weeks. Let's get to it. Okay, so let's start with the focus. So, after what was one of the hottest summers I've ever lived through, my goodness, Geneva was so warm, and honestly, what will likely not be the hottest summer in my life, I've been thinking a lot about climate change. And I once had a conversation with my grandparents about volcanoes and CO2 emissions, and I realized that this was something I really didn't know a lot about, so I did a little bit of research for them and for me. But this week, I thought I'd share a little bit of that research and do a little bit of a deeper dive into it and share with all of you. So this week is volcanoes versus humans. Who emits more CO2? Alessandro, what do you think? I don't know. Maybe smokers can uh, emit more than a volcano. No smokers, maybe less. (laughs) Sure. Okay. Kind of correct. Yes. I don't know. Humans emit way more CO2 than volcanoes. Um, CO2 from recent uh, volcanic eruptions has actually not caused a global cooling in the lower atmosphere. Okay, but by how much? Okay, so this is actually a pretty interesting question because, well, we really don't know. We have some best guesses, though. Okay, let's take a look at the literature. So in 2011, there was an article put out um, in a journal called EOS by Terence Gerlach, and it was called Volcano versus Anthropogenic Carbon Dioxide. Um, and it was also kind of regurgitated into the USGS website, so you can find it there if you're interested. So what does this, this article tell us? So because the, the paper is in 2011, they used numbers from 2010. And at this point, humans were responsible for 35 gigatons of CO2 yearly. And the global CO2 emission rate for all subaerial and marine, submarine volcanoes at that point was lying between 0.13 to 0.14 gigatons per year. So basically, humans were producing 80 to 270 times larger amounts of CO2 than that. So present-day subaerial and submarine volcanoes release less than 1% of the CO2 released by humans, at least in 2010. Oh, that's quite a lot, but sometimes there are big eruptions, and this can change the total CO2, right? Okay, yeah, so definitely sometimes you can have really big eruptions that emit a lot more CO2. So as Gerlach pointed out in the EOS article, in 1980, when Lewitt, also known as Mount St. Helens, erupted, it vented 10 million tons of CO2 in the span of nine hours, which is a lot. But also, humans do that in 2.5 hours, and we do that every day, whereas fluid obviously only erupts, you know, not not every day, thankfully. Goodness gracious. So anyways, they point, um, in the paper, they point out you'd need 3,500 Lewitt-sized events compared to humans' 2010 emissions. Hmm. Has much of the research changed from 2010? Okay, yeah, so there's actually been quite a few updates. Um, there's a review paper by Burton et al. 2013 who looked at CO2 emissions from 33 volcanoes and scaled it up to 150 volcanoes. And they suggest that volcanic CO2 would be about 2% of the CO2 emitted by humans, so that's, or that's more than what the other paper suggested. 
But you might notice that they only um, measured 33 volcanoes. And this fact is actually brought up by in a later paper by Ilinska um, et al. 2018, who looked at CO2 emissions specifically from Katla, which is a subglacial volcano. And actually, this is an interesting point because subglacial volcanoes are hard to measure because they have no plume and are generally pretty hard to access. And they found that actually Katla emits a lot of CO2. They suggest like 2 to 4% of the total CO2 that Burton suggested, which is, is a lot for a single volcano. So this might be that Burton um, at Al might have underestimated the CO2 contents, but it's also hard to say if Katla's high CO2 emissions were just because of recent activity, where sometimes if you have um, activity happening, sometimes you get more CO2 released. Um, or if this is a constant flux and something that we'd find at other subglacial systems. So, only 33 volcanoes? That seems like so few. Yeah, and so this is partially because it's really difficult to measure. Um, it's hard to measure gas, actually. There's a lot of methods, um, and they're actually outlined really well in the Burton paper if people are interested. But broadly, you can measure the plume itself by collecting with something called a Gigenbach bottle. Um, but this is this is difficult because one, you can have air contamination, but also like you have to be like pretty much at the plume, which is like a bit dangerous. So there's other ground-based solutions, um, including using a multi-gas approach or using remote sensing. And both use, methods use some spectroscopic methodologies, which I'm not gonna get into now. Um, some other solutions also include flying directly into the plume to collect measurements. Or actually, interestingly enough, there was a project to launch a rocket into orbit called the Orbiting Carbon Observatory. This uses a telescope to feed light to spectrometers and measure the columnar abundance of uh, oxygen and CO2 with absorption beds. But actually, when they first um, sent the rocket up, it didn't make it into orbit. But since then, okay. they've had another uh, attempt. So they had OSC2, but actually that one came back down or went away. And then right now there's OSC3, which is up, and it's been in orbit for three years. So... Oh. Um, it's just collecting data up there and you can check out more about it on NASA's website. So also for non-erupting volcanoes, it's also pretty common to look at CO2 by looking at it in the soil content or by collecting gas from an inverted tube in the ground. But as you can see, there's a lot of different methods and you could write a whole PhD thesis on all of, to be honest, like one of these methods. So we're going to leave it for now. And maybe at some point we'll, we'll interview one of our colleagues who uses these methods. Yeah. Okay. Okay. So we have measurements from some volcanoes, but not from all. Okay. That's correct. But actually, there's been some more recent work. In 2019, so just a few years ago, Fisher et al. published a paper in Nature and discussed an initiative um, by the Deep Carbon Observatory called Deep Earth Carbon Degassing, or also short-formed as Decade. Science loved to short-form things to snappy, snazzy titles. We're no different. Okay, so this is established in 2011 during an, uh, a commission of the Chemistry of Volcanic Gas Workshop in Kamchatka. And this paper published some updated CO2 emissions, looking at ones from 2005-2015. And they give a total estimate of 51.3 plus minus 5 uh, TG CO2s per year. So this is teragrams of CO2 by per year of passing degassing and 1.8 plus or minus 0.9 
teragrams uh, per year of eruptive degassing. So it's still just a fraction of what humans emit, but it's definitely a little bit of a broader, a more full view of, of uh, the volcanoes because this looks at 900 different volcanoes. But still, this is, you know, this is not as much as what humans are putting out there. But Corinne, we know that climate can change because of volcanoes. It's done these in the past. Okay, so there are lots of studies that look into this. Um, and, you know, this is one thing that, like, is also debated in the literature. Like, is that why the dinosaurs went extinct? I'm not going to weigh in. I don't know the literature well <laughs> enough. But the climate changing because of volcanic eruptions is not really from CO2. It's from other stuff, but I'm not going to tell you what it is because once again, this is a whole other topic and I think this would be a nice focus for another day. So we're going to save that and somebody, one of us will talk about it another day. We will. So what you are truly telling me is that climate change is slowly our fault. It's, true, it's truly the fault of humans and we need to dance together so, to solve this soap problem and run around to argue more trees, maybe in a random forest. Exactly, exactly. Yes, we need to hug more trees and solve problems together. Good. Okay, <laughs> now it's time for the news. Oh, but first, I should say thanks to the sources. Obviously, I, there's several papers. So the US uh, GS um, page, Volcanoes Can Affect Climate. Um, the EOS article by Teres Gerlach et al. in 2011. Fisher et al. 2009. Ilinska et al. 2018, and Burton et al. 2013. Okay, now it's time for the news. Yeah, it's time for the news. And let's start in the Americas, where we saw ash advisories from Sabancaya, Sangay, Popocatpetl, Nevado de Rui, Reventador, Fuego, Nevado de Cian, and Corinne. Do you want to guess the podium for the tallest plume in the Americas? Sabancaya. Nice guess. <laughs> so in the third position, we have Popocatepetl with a 6.1 tall plume. At the second position, we have not one, but two super nice volcanoes, Sangay and Sabancaya, both with a 7.6 tall plume. And finally, at the first place in the American's podium, for the tallest plume, we have Nevado de Rui with a 7.9 tall plume. Wow, I'm uh, I'm shocked. Seven Kai, I thought you were gonna pull out all the stops for me this week. You know, I was kind of she I was will. ready for it. Next she week, will. next week. Yeah, so October yeah, yeah. is her season. She's a yeah. she's she's ready for fall. She's gonna show her <laughs> true colors. Okay, I'm done now. Okay, so abusive activity continued at Kilauea, Hawaii, where intense activity has been detected on September 20th, and consisting of a strong seismic swarm with an earthquake up to 2.9 magnitude and ground inflation. Now, this isn't the only news from Hawaii. A seismic swarm has also occurred under Mauna Loa edifice on September 23rd. Okay, the eruptive activity also continues at Reventador, where the almost constant volcanic explosions are accompanied by lava flow emissions. Okay, it's time for Europe. The seismic swarm in the northern Icelandic area that began on September 8th in the Chiones fracture zone is continuously decreasing. In Italy, at Stromboli, on uh, the 25th of September, after a short, more explosive phase, a short-lived lava flow has been detected on the top part of the Chiare del Fuoco. Also, we would like to have a special correspondent for La Réunion France, where our friend Marion Grosjean is currently there on a vacation, 
we asked her to give us the news from La Reunion because she's there. So this is Marielle. Hi, Marielle. Hi. So I'm presently in La Reunion Island, and I was lucky enough to attend the volcanic eruption in the Piton de la Fournaise. So the eruption started now a week ago on um, Monday, September 19th at exactly 7.48 a.m. So before the eruption, a big seismic uh, crisis started at 6.23 a.m. and then the eruption. Quickly after, like 24 hours after, the lava flux went down, recorded the surface, went down to 10% of the activity recorded during the beginning of the eruption and then went up again, something like 48 hours after the beginning of the eruption, went up to 20% of this um, lava flux activity during the beginning of the eruption. Presently there is no more uh, seismic activity recorded at the surface and uh, no more displacement noticed on the ground. When the eruption started, the lava fountains were um, located along a, a crack, but then now you only have one crater, one small cone, uh, with a few lava tunnels flowing down toward the southwest. So for sure, if you want uh, more details, the Observatoire du Piton de la Fournaise uh, teams are going on the field every time they can, like every day if the visibility is fine um, by helicopter to sample, then um, they update the, the information on the website. One week after, the eruption is still going on. The last eruption uh, was in 2021, started in December 2021 and lasted for about a month. Maybe we'll be lucky enough to see um, this eruption lasting longer. If you want to see the eruption, it's forbidden to go down inside the crater, but um, you can watch the eruption from the Piton de Baie, located on the south of the main crater, Dolomieux crater. At the moment, there is no uh, major risk, nor for the population or for the infrastructures. So yeah, if you're on holidays on the, on the island, it's a good time to go watch uh, an eruption. Thanks. Thanks, Marion. So, we have some news also from Africa this week. Ertaheel volcano in Ethiopia shows an increased eruptive activity from its southern pit crater with spattered ejectional lava from a small spatter cone within the lava lake. Okay, in Asia, we also saw several ash advisories from Dukono, Sakurajima, Swanosojima, Ibu, Lewotolo, Shivalu, Ximuru, Ibeko, Kadavar, Eliad, and I Klyoshaskoy. Now, Alessandro, it is your turn. You have to guess the winner of the tallest plume Asia competition. Except for Alessandro, you did the research for the news, so you already I know. know. Why would, I know. why am I telling you to guess? Ah, okay, guess. Tell me, who do you think it is? You ruin, you ruin all the game that I that, that I wrote down. So I would still guess Shivalut. No, but Shivalush is on the podium, actually. We have Lotolo in third position with a 3.7 meter tall plume. Then we have Shivalush and Samiro sharing the second place position. And the winner, it's going to be a secret still, but you will discover it later. Except for you already know, and I will discover it later. I already know, later. and you will discover it later. <laughs> this is a, a, a trap for you, Korean. <laughs> so confusing. Okay. Um. What? What's the? What volcanoes are we talking about in Asia? Just, it, tell me. Alexander. Okay. So I would start in Indonesia. 
where explosive activity continues at Ducano with the production of a strong eruption on Wednesday 14th, resulting in a 3-kilometer-tall dark ash bloom. Let's talk about New Zealand. At Taupo Volcano, there were minor seismic activities and inflation, which made the alert level get risen to 1 on a 6-level scale, which signals some small volcanic unrest. As reported on GeoNet and underlined in VolcanoDiscovery.com, such unrest can continue for months without resulting in any eruptive activity. It's not the first time that a similar or even stronger um, unrest occurred at Taupo without any following eruption, and the last eruptive activity actually occurred in 232 AD. So, obviously, we'll keep you up on Tapo's activity. So, an increased seismic activity has been observed also uh, from uh, Gamalama Volcano, uh, always in Almahera, Indonesia, uh, where nine volcano tectonic earthquakes occur on September 14th, and weak gas emission has been observed on the summit crater. The alert level has been rose to two. Okay, we have a new little baby island in the Tonga Archipelago. The Tonga Geologic Services, also known as TGS, confirmed that the ongoing submarine eruption in the archipelago started on September 10th and led to the formation of this tiny island that from the first images was 70 meters in diameter and less than 10 meters in height. The island is named Home Reef, cute, and is not the first time that it has emerged from the sea to be eroded away afterwards. Similar events have already been documented in 1842, 1857, 1984, and 2006. The new island produced a lot of small explosions since her birth, but the activity decreased on September 18th, where the still active lava enlarges the island to a about 200 meter by 200 meter. It's a little bit less than that. Ellipsoidal island. Alessandra, you know yeah. what? Yes. The little baby island, home reef, is also gone for a home run and it got the tallest plume in asia with an amazing it's not that amazing 6.1 tall <laughs> plume which i guess it's impressive for a baby island but it still didn't beat nevada or del ruiz and i would like to say it also didn't beat seven kaya so yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay in contracta and eruptive phase started at allied volcano one of the most active volcano in the Kurelia highlands uh, and that's happened on september 15. the main activity consists in the strombolian activity accompanied by gas plume emission and the eruptive activity is still continuing at moderate levels strombolian activity is also going on astronomy <laughs> Of course, Alessandro, what's going on in Stromboli. Stromboli is always doing Stromboli, and it's Stromboli, Stromboli, and it makes sense. Yeah, Stromboli is the best in the Stromboli. Okay, Stromboli is the Strombolian activity. <laughs> Anyways, Strombolian activity is going on at Lewatolo in Indonesia, where the warning bulletin says that the ballistic impacts can affect a three-kilometer-wide area. The emission code is orange at White Highland in New Zealand, where Manorash emission uh, occurred on September 18th. Okay, 1.6 kilometer high plumes have been produced at Aira Volcano in Japan by, and 10 explosions occurred between September 12th and 19th. And on September 23rd, a very strong explosion occurred at Sekirajima, producing a pumice and ash flow that was caused by ash column collapse. And that's it for today. Thanks as usual to our sources, uh, VolcanoDiscovery.com and the Smithsonian Global Volcanism Program, and also thanks to Jeanette and the Tonga Geological Service. And also thanks to Marion Grosjean for being our special correspondent. We heard you. Thank Marianne. you, Marion. 
And thank you for spending time with us and listening to us chatter about volcanoes. See you next week. See you in two weeks. Ah. Ah.